1: Everybody, and thank you for joining us for another QB Power Hour. We're very glad to have you joining us today as we do another niche nuances or niche nuances, depending on where you're from, uh, nonprofit accounting with Megan Tarno, And she's also brought a special guest, Leslie Johnson. You'll get a chance to meet both of those in a few minutes. Uh, Dan, you want to go ahead? Mm-hmm. My name is Michelle Long. I'm a CPA with an MBA in entrepreneurship, owner of Long for Success, trainer for Intuit for a number of years. Um, make sure you join us on that Facebook group. We can continue the discussion there. And in a little bit, you're going to find about Megan's group, a special nonprofit group as well. Um, so we can continue the conversation there after the uh, webinar today. Dan, go ahead.
0: Yeah, my name is Dan DeLong, owner of uh, Danwith, um, wearing my uh, nonprofit uh, t-shirt today that um that I'm involved with, and oddly enough, I am not the treasurer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a but. Burst.
0: Um, but yeah, I, I worked at into it for about 18 years. I co-host with with Michelle here. Also do a workshop Wednesday on uh, on on our Facebook group for School of Bookkeeping uh, and the tech editor of uh, QBO for Dummies. Um, so let's go ahead and, and introduce Megan.
2: I am Megan Janae Tarnow. I am founder and principal of the Mobius Group, which is a QuickBooks-centric consulting practice practice focused exclusively on nonprofits. I'm a member of the Intuit Trainer Network, a certified nonprofit finance professional and uh, a theater major. So like, like many nonprofit finance people, I fell into it and then grabbed on. Um, and
3: a fan of Michelle, so this is awesome <laughs> to be here. And Leslie. Leslie Johnson. I'm the finance and managing director of Grey Wolf Press, which is a nonprofit book publisher based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I have been there in a number of positions over the past uh, dozen years, and um, I also, like Megan, hold a undergraduate degree in theater. English, and um, I have a master's in nonprofit management as well.
0: Well, thank you both for joining us today. It's really an awesome um, uh, experience to have have both sides of the of the accounting equation here. Um, you know the and when we when we do this series of of niche nuances, um, we actually did a, a, a nonprofit version uh, a couple years ago, and uh, I, I think what happened was is uh, our video got lost. So I'm like, Oh, we need to do it again. And, and we'll, we'll bring on Megan again. And, and th- now what we're trying to do each time when we have a niche nuance is, is have someone uh, from the, who specializes in that accounting uh, spe- um, that does that niche. And then also someone that is on the other side of that, the business owner, you know, those unique challenges that they see or may not even see and how they're overcome uh, within QuickBooks, so a little bit about the uh, QB Power Hour webinar series. Um, it's every other Tuesday at, at 12 noon Eastern. Um, coming up, we're going to be doing uh, the continuing our series on uh, the QBO advanced features uh, deep dive. We'll be talking about tasks and workflows, so we'll do a little workshop on that. We'll be continuing uh, our niche nuances with real estate, which is a, um, a well sought after and 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 searched for a topic about uh, real estate, and we'll have Gita Faust joining us here, and we'll talk about rentals um, in, inside of QuickBooks, and um, we'll be bringing back Lisio for part two <laughs> um, in in uh, June, and you have the link there for the PDFs of the slides, uh, recordings, and the podcast as well, and I'll put in the, the chat the uh, place that you can uh, see the landing page for today so you can get the handouts uh, directly from there and some resources as well. Uh, So uh, also uh, regard a little housekeeping if you have any questions um, go ahead and put them in the Q&A portion of of Zoom because it makes it a lot easier to uh, to address those if we want to put them uh, uh, speak to them live. Uh, Chat uh, tends to get a little Scrolly, I guess that's the technical term for it. and <laughs> um, We lose that. So if you have a specific question for either Megan, Michelle, myself, or Leslie, uh, go ahead and put it in the Q and A uh, section so that we can address it uh, there. Now today, <clears throat> our agenda is the types of nonprofits. Uh, Megan and I were having a discussion about the um, the different types of nonprofits. You know, just because uh, you know they are labeled a nonprofit doesn't mean that they have the same foundation or 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 needs, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then the origin story. I always like to find out, you know, I, I always think, you know, the original movies are better than the sequels. What and part of that is because of the origin. You know, you get to see the origin of the superhero uh or Star Wars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh so we're going to talk about the the origin stories of how Megan started with nonprofits. How did you get here? You know, the uh, um, the talking heads. <laughs> How did I get here, right? <laughs> um, and then some of the concerns or challenges of nonprofits. Um, and then the solution for handling those um, those in QuickBooks directly. And Megan has been nice enough to provide some additional solutions uh, and resources uh, for, for that uh, coming up. Uh, so let's start off with our first uh, poll question. Uh, what version are you using? Are you using online, desktop, both? Um, or maybe you're just not even using QuickBooks or using something else here. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, there's a question in here about, um, is there a way to make some invoices not say pledges? That that might be something to address
2: yeah. later. Yeah, that'll come up with our nonprofit myth busting. Um. Okay. <laughs> I saw that someone asked why both uh, Leslie and I have she, her in our names. Um, it's interesting. This is, it's become a real normal thing in the nonprofit sector. I mean, as a, as a sector, right, we tend to be concerned about social justice and really our center in equity. And it's become a really common practice um, for people to, to, you know, announce, like, let you know what their pronouns are. And by normalizing, um, stating what your pronouns are, right? It makes it easy for people who don't use um, kind of the dominant pronouns who choose, you know, they, them, or there's a bunch of others, but those are the ones I see most often. Um, Having that out there where everyone just says it makes it less awkward for people who don't have sort of the dominant pronouns. And so it's just become a really common thing in the sector. Wouldn't you say, Leslie?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I see it everywhere.
2: Yeah, like if we go to con- like back in the day, if we go to a nonprofit conference that's in person, there will typically be with your name tag, you know, as a pile of stickers where you can choose which one you want to stick on your name tag just to make it easier and clearer for people.
0: And it, and it's really about inclusion as opposed to um
2: yeah, it's about trying right. to, like, making, create, working on creating a world where everybody feels comfortable and included, you know, kind of from the get-go.
3: I think it's really helpful, too, just in written communications, because um, it helps uh, people be able to self-identify the way they want and to, um, yeah, to show up the way they want in their work.
2: Yeah, And I think I shared something on Facebook recently where it's like, it's sort of like if someone said, hi, you know, like if, if you were to say, hi, my name is Daniel, but I prefer Dan. Right. Then I should call you Dan. If I insisted on calling you Daniel, I would be a dick.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. You know,
2: I would be a jerk. Um, So it's like just, you have to to be a
0: Richard in order to be a dick.
2: Exactly. (laughs) You know, and, and this is a bit like I, you know, I have been called Megan my entire life, um, but that is not what it says on my driver's license, and that is not what the lovely person on Intuit support called me when we first started Ooh. chatting yesterday, and I'm like, man, yeah, Rich, you're right. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, Rich. I... <laughs>
2: yeah. So. All right, so yeah,
0: it looks like uh, most of the folks are are using both uh, QuickBooks Online and desktop uh, and followed closely by online. So let's go ahead and uh, kick us off here. So Megan, some fun facts.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of things people don't know about nonprofits. And so there's some interesting things. So there are more than 10 million nonprofits and non-governmental organizations worldwide. Uh, we can't even agree on how to spell nonprofits. Dan, you put a dash. I just yep. smushed it all together. You know, sometimes people say not for profit, right? It's a tax status, not a business model. So, nonprofits are absolutely allowed to show profit, only we don't call it that. We call it a change in net assets because we don't call equity equity. We also call that net assets. And so, it's showing how that's flowing. Um, There are 29 different types of 501C organizations, which blew me away. There's one of them that's like 501C26. That is (laughs) specifically for veterans organizations that were formed prior to 1880. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Donations to roughly five of these are tax deductible. But the one that we think about most often when we think nonprofit is the 501C3 charitable organization and there are roughly 1.3 million of those in the US like Minnesota where Leslie and I are from is the state of 10,000 lakes and 30,000 nonprofits or is non-profit, that, heavy is state.
0: that why, why is that is that a, is that just because um, strong funding environment
2: <laughs> yeah strong funding environment so we had a lot of you know Minnesota' is an interesting state because it's got a lot of um of early industrialists kind of you know gilded age folks who and and corporations that had a that were really philanthropic was it date was it the daytons leslie who did that one percent to charity pledge thing really Mm -hmm. on and so a lot of our our major corporations um the dayton company that became target which was originally one of their companies and then it became the corporate parent, Um, 3M, Medtronic, you know, multiple, multiple of our corporations have a really strong philanthropic bent. So yeah, and close to 12 million Americans work for nonprofits, roughly 10% of of Americans who are employed work for nonprofits. We're the third largest employment sector after retail and manufacturing. Um, and, and, that, I,
0: and that's talking about employment, not necessarily uh, volunteering, right? Oh, yeah. And it does
2: people- include all the volunteers, right? So there's also a myth that nonprofits are completely volunteer driven, that you can't like, make a living working for a nonprofit. And while some of us would say that's true, um, really, no, you can't be employed, gainfully employed yeah. by nonprofits. And I just think that concept that if American nonprofits were a country, they would have the world's fifth largest economy. So it's a it's a huge driver of of the economy in the United States. Awesome. And I'm this. Going
0: on the fun fact tour.
2: <laughs> there's more. There's more. <laughs> but, um, <worked. laughs> but wait, but this is the issue someone had, right? And it drives me absolutely insane. There's that concept that all of our income is donated, right? If you tell QuickBooks that you're a nonprofit, it changes your invoices to pledges. And if you look at this, only 13% of our income comes from donations as a sector, 48% of it's earned. Like we have earned revenue. We send out invoices. (laughs) Um, So I haven't found a way around that. I just keep hitting the feedback button. Hopefully eventually someone will listen to us. Um, 33% of the income comes from the government and 6% is investments in other sources.
0: Now, um, now along that line about, um, pledges and, and invoices inside of QuickBooks online that you can call it, you can label it whatever you want, right?
2: You know, if you email it though, you have to have the word pledge in the subject line. They won't let you take it out. (laughs) You're like, so it just kind of makes us look dorky, right? Like I want to send you an invoice for um your rent or whatever it is, right? Because we have a, as you can see, a lot of earned revenue. Um, mm-hmm. and then it has the word pledge on it. So it makes us look like we don't know what we're doing. Gotcha.
0: Here's a question uh from Denise. Are social enterprises considered nonprofit?
2: they can be. And that's, I mean, I think it's super interesting because that is a growing part of the sector um, where many, you know, and again, nonprofits like to have control of our own destiny. It's, you know, if anything, the pandemic has shown us like having diversified income streams and the ability to um, drive our own train makes a huge difference. So sometimes you get like, you know, obviously Grey Wolf is a, has a huge earned component. Their whole point is they publish books, right? But they are- Which we sell
3: in, you know, on Amazon and in bookstores all across the country. Yeah. So in that way, it's very exactly the same as a for-profit publisher.
2: And your authors aren't doing it for free.
3: No, they aren't.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I wrote a book for a publisher and it might as well have been
1: free for the cost per hour I got paid. (laughs) It it wasn't making me rich. That's for (laughs) sure.
2: You know, like some, so it sort of depends on how that social enterprise is related to your exempt mission. Um, You know, and sometimes it can really be baked in, like the sale of books is for Grey Wolf. For others, it's sort of a a side thing. Like I've got a client um, that their nonprofit mission is to bring people together, like start conversations over food. And because they were really good at food, they started a sideline that was catering. And what happened is the catering just started to explode and was becoming much larger than the you know, the exempt part of their organization. And so they had to spin that off into a fully owned LLC in order to just like maintain their exempt status with the IRS. So it's an interesting interesting area that a lot of nonprofits are kind of exploring.
0: Now, um, so, I mean, you have here the big three here, education, religion, and, and healthcare um you know and everybody thinks like you know and, and i made the joke about yeah i'm not the <laughs> i'm not the treasurer of of the nonprofit um and, and we were talking yesterday about like you know getting experience you know just uh <laughs> just uh, just volunteer as a nonprofit they'll be glad to um you know let you let you play with their finances <laughs> but as we'll as we'll discuss that's maybe not the best idea to to get some experience in the nonprofit sector because of the the nuances about that. And you could really go down a rabbit hole that you don't necessarily want to <laughs> want to find a fishing, fishing yourself out of.
2: Right. I mean, I think it's, um, and it's an interesting kind of dichotomy, right? Because a lot of nonprofit finance people, this is true for me and for Leslie are sort of accidental, right? we that was not our, we didn't train as accountants. We kind of fell into it in organizations that we probably joined because we were interested in the mission and then discovered we were good at the math part, you know? um, But there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of nuances to it and it's a complicated, it's complicated accounting. So you want to have mentors and be able to work under people to learn what you're doing. Well,
1: and Megan, you even alluded to that earlier when you said some comment about the catering and how it was getting to be a certain percentage and it was jeopardizing their 501c3 status. So having the knowledge of the industry information is very valuable. And that's where us as accounting professionals and the consultants can really help these nonprofits who like you said, may have gotten into it for the mission and they don't know all those intricacies. And that's where we really can add a lot of value to help keep them in compliance and keep them out of trouble and things like that.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, we I joke that like nobody starts a nonprofit because they want to keep the records. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like they're all mission driven and it, it's not necessarily even easy to know all the things you're supposed to be doing, right? And then we just had the biggest shift in nonprofit accounting in the last 25 years with the new sort of revenue recognition guidelines that took effect in 2020. So it's been huge.
1: And can you provide the listeners with an update on what changed? How did it change? What's new?
2: Uh, So the two, I mean, the big, there was a big change, right? When I got into nonprofit accounting back in the late nineties, um, FASB 116 and 117 that gave us, um, told us that we had to count contributions when they were promised, so that was a huge impact on organizations that got, say, multi-year grants. Right? If I got a grant for five million over five years, I had to book that whole five million dollars when it was promised to me. So there was like these huge swings. Like this year, I show a bunch of income. The next four years, I don't. Um, and trying to budget that and explain it. And then we went to, and I think I think before before that. Right, It's kind of before my time, so I'm not entirely sure, but I still run across it in files once in a while. Um, People recorded that income as a liability and they only shifted it over to the income statement when the restriction was met, right? So now it had to be on the income statement from the get-go. And then we had three net asset categories of unrestricted, temporarily restricted, and permanently restricted. So the changes that happened Last year, where my understanding is was to bring U.S. GAAP more in line with IFRS, which is the you know the accounting standards used around the rest of the world. And the tricky bit is all nonprofits are corporations, right? So the same changes that took place for corporate and you know the concept was corporate accounting, but the trickle down effect was us in the nonprofit sector. Um, And then we have that issue of, we have both earned and contributed revenue. So the whole, there's this whole crazy decision tree, right? And first thing you have to figure out is, is this a contribution or is this what they call an exchange contract, like earned? Um, And the biggest and a big shift there was historically, like we see 33% of nonprofit revenue comes from the government. Um, Usually that's fee for service and it's reimbursement contracts where we, you know, maybe they give us a little bit of money up front, but then we have to do a thing and invoice them and they send us, you know, reimburse us for that. And historically those had been treated as exchange contracts and under the new guidance, they are conditional contributions. So we have to do something before we get the money and there's a huge risk that we wouldn't get it. Um, But it also that the it's a but it's a grant because the government itself is not are getting the benefit of the money we're getting it's public, and so is the is the contribution conditional or not? And then if it is not conditional, is it or is it not restricted? And so that was huge. Um, the other thing is we went from three net asset categories down to two, which I really like because they are now without donor restriction and with donor restriction. So it made really clear who could restrict fund restrict our funds, only the donor, right? So if the board says, I'm gonna set aside a million dollars to build a building that's without donor restrictions. And so those sort of board designated funds are falling under that bucket.
0: Yeah, my takeaway from that is, wow. <laughs> That's a lot of information to keep up on.
2: It's. I was having a conversation with another, like you know, really top-notch accountant because he was asking about tracking a restricted grant, and I was explaining it, and he just kind of wrote back, and he goes, "Sheesh, that sounds hard."
0: <laughs> yeah, not something you yeah, just want to cut your cut your teeth on uh, without knowing what you're doing as a without... startup
2: bookkeeper. Let's go do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh so here you have kind of like a breakdown of uh, how the, how nonprofits are 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 kind of segmented right
2: yeah so this is a slide that was um from guidestar which is a great resource uh for anybody wanting to know things about nonprofits they pull the 990s for nonprofits and so you can see people's 990 and then the organizations can also fill out their own profile and tell you a little bit more about them. Um, And anybody can access that for free, you just have to register. But I thought it was just, you know, interesting data on the types of nonprofits and also their budget size. And you see like the giant ones are typically hospitals and healthcare organizations and educational institutions, right? And those along with um, religious institutions tend to draw the greatest amount of donations, right? You know, think of, even if you don't ever give to anybody, you probably drop something in the plate at you know at church or you send money to your alma mater. So they they take the lion's share of the donations that are out there. Got it. okay and last one the, the facts.
0: fun fun facts keep coming.
2: <laughs> uh, And Jones says, does the percentage of income vary from nonprofit to nonprofit? Oh yeah, absolutely. Those are just kind of sector wide numbers. Some of them are completely government funded. Others are completely donation driven and others are a mix. Um, Nonprofits under 50,000 can just file a postcard. And so like, I almost don't care what they do because nobody's really looking. And that's you know, true of churches as well, who don't have to file any sort of annual return. Um, we talked a little bit about how they're all corporations, we're subject to corporate accounting rules, we track it on accrual ideally. Um, in addition to that sort of restricted income concept, there's also we're required to report our expenses by function. So this is like, is it program, is it management in general, or is it fundraising? And um, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we treat nonprofits the same way we treat poor people. We have this idea that unless we're like really on them all the time, they're just gonna be buying lobster and like <laughs> renting limousines. And so we got to make sure they're spending you know our money, even though that's a fraction for most not, you know, many nonprofits, the way we said. Got it. So,
0: so yeah. All right. So well, let's uh let's launch our, our second poll. Do you have a niche? Niche, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I say niche. What do you say, do like you say, niche?
3: say niche. I say niche. Say niche. Yeah.
2: I, I say niche. <laughs> well, I know, and, you know, and David Leary was always saying the riches are in the niches. You can't really say the yeah. niches. I mean, the niche. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. As an example, well, in terms of earned yeah. contributed breakdown, Grey Wolf um, has about 70% earned revenue and 30% contributed for our, our mm-hmm. mix.
0: I mean, Michelle, I think you're trying to say something, but I can I see your lips moving, but it's not coming through. I don't know if you got, a, got yourself on mute. Oh, yeah, we can't, can't hear you. <laughs> All right, she's gonna try to get, get reconnected here. All right, let me go ahead and uh end the poll here in a few seconds.
1: Now can you hear me?
0: Yes, yes. we can hear you now.
1: Okay. I unplugged, plugged it back in.
0: Okay. That's... I
1: said riches in the niches, and then you finally remember David Leary says it all the time too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: so it looks like um, most most folks are new here. Um but uh, a lot of folks are are generalists but looking for a niche niche.
2: Well, I would say, you know, if, like, if you're looking for something challenging and interesting that's going to, like, make you fire on all cylinders, I think nonprofits are awesome. Um, You know, like construction, it has job costing. It just, there's actually a lot of similarities in the way we track things in nonprofits and the way we track them in construction, which I did briefly at the beginning. So, obviously, looking for all the good people to come over.
0: (laughs) All right, so let's talk with Leslie. Tell us a little about uh, Great Gray Wolf Press.
3: Yeah, so um, Gray Wolf Press is a nonprofit book publisher, and that probably sounds a bit strange, um, especially since we have a very similar model to um, to a for profit. But what makes us nonprofit is a consistent mission around publishing the types of books that are normally a little bit um, commercially challenged. Like poetry, short stories, essays, books in translation. Um, we tend to publish kind of like genre bending books that don't fit in a in a really clear spot at the bookstore and um, we publish things because we think the writing is great and not because we think it will sell. Um, but even given that we do have books that sell <laughs> um, our annual budget is a little over five million um, we, get the bulk of our revenue from from those book sales, as well as sales of subsidiary rights. So when you acquire a book, you also require, acquire the rights to publish it in different territories, in different formats, and you can sublicense those to other publishers in other countries or different format publishers. So we get some um, more earned revenue there. And then we have contributed revenue from government sources like the National Endowment for the Arts, um, our state uh, arts board and from institutions, grants from foundations and from individuals. Um, We have a staff of 19. We've really grown over the past 10 years and um, two of us in finance. So I sort of oversee and then we have someone doing more day-to-day accounts payable, accounts receivable. And we had previously been on QuickBooks for Mac. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which Megan was like, that's, that's just amazing. <laughs> you were making that work. And um, when <laughs> all this went down with the pandemic last year, we really needed a solution that was not desktop based and um, QuickBooks online really came forward. Uh, yeah. Megan has some more top things here about what does make us a typical nonprofit in terms of, you um, e- You know, people like me falling into the finance side of things with the theater background, (laughs) no formal accounting training and um, doing a lot of things manually. We're very paper based. I don't know. That's probably not a surprise to someone, um, given that we deal with paper books. But um, there's a lot of our systems that are very on paper. Uh, we don't have an endowment. Um, a lot of larger nonprofits would have that and, you know, investment streams therein. We do not. Um, and we spend, you know, 85% of our, of our expense is on producing the books, distributing the books, promoting the books, sending the authors on tour, um, that kind of thing. So...
0: Let's talk a little bit about some of the the, the challenges. Um, now, this is specifically to to Gray Wolf, Megan.
2: This one is actually, but it's not untypical of the stuff that I see. And so, um, in some ways, COVID has been a has been really exciting. As someone who has been a cloud accountant for seven years, right, and trying to pull my sector kind of into the twenty first century, because. We, As a sector, we kind of have a if it ain't broke, don't fix it attitude, and we tend to starve our infrastructure and our administration. So it's been really exciting to see organizations finally go, oh, perhaps we can work remotely. Perhaps we can move to the cloud. Perhaps we can do all these things that we weren't interested in doing before. Um, So I see like a lot of this is specific to Gray Wolf, but I see similar things in a lot of the data files I look at.
0: So, what I want to talk through some of these these challenges.
2: I'm gonna kick it to you, Leslie. What do you feel like the <laughs> you know some of the big challenges were for you guys, and like what you know, in addition to the, it being you know desktop based, um, they, they, I mean, there were other issues with that data file, right? That yes. <laughs> For sure. I think you're absolutely right.
3: The don't, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And we had been, um, you know, using the same chart accounts since the nineties basically. And just whenever we had a new type of, uh, expense, we just added a new account for it, even if it was really a flavor of a previous type of thing. So yes, the the account, the chart of accounts was definitely full of stuff and very (laughs) much in need of a refresh. Um, I think what was great about working with Megan on the, like converting that and and moving us over into Cookbooks Online was that she really brought in the best practices in terms of having expense accounts be natural categories, classes, or functions. And we, you know, I was also able to push back in certain areas and say, well, you know, author tours are not maybe a natural category, but they are for us and they represent, you know, $100,000 a year, and so we really need to see those broken out separately or not or whatever. Um, I loved the opportunity to work with Megan to kind of brainstorm how to use the file and all of its different ways of categorizing things, which is a lot more than the desktop version. So, you know, in addition to accounts and classes, we've got tags, we've got custom fields, we've got, you know, the ability to do these different kinds of reports. And I think we really made use of all that stuff. Um,
1: and so I have a question for you all. So in, it sounds like you probably did a conversion from QuickBooks, Mac to QuickBooks online, but Megan, I think some of the accountants out here would like to know, it sounds to me like, based on what Leslie's saying, you didn't actually convert from Mac to online. You started a new company and you changed the structure of the accounts and the classes and stuff. Can you kind of talk a little Megan about kind of that thought process, just because you can convert from Mac Online doesn't always mean you should convert to online. So, can you kind of go through that a little bit? A little.
2: I mean, I really feel that the structure of like deciding how you're going to structure your data file is really um, partially an accounting thing, right? But it's really a strategic planning conversation. Mm-hmm. Where you need to figure out who are all the stakeholders in the data, and nonprofits have a lot of stakeholders. Um, what are they going to need to know, and what is the best way to squeeze all of that, you know, into this tool, right? Because you know there's more than one way to to get the same answer and which one is gonna be the right one for this organization. You know, and we've kind of come up with some best practices, right? Accounts want to be, natural categories. Typically, we're using classes for functions. So the different programs plus admin and fundraising. But then we've got a lot of extra stuff, right? We've got products and services. We've got tags, custom fields, customer, you know, projects. What are we going to use that stuff for? And what does it look like when we report? And I find in a lot of not, you know, probably data files in general, but nonprofit files for sure. Um, nobody had that conversation up front. Right. Especially in a right. family that's been around <laughs> for a while and, and every, you know, and you've got this point, like typically it's unusual that you've got more than one person in the finance department, right. Cause organizations right. under, under a million dollars. And that person typically is, you know, very often is accidental, has no training or any support. And so Somebody comes to them and says, I need, I need to know what we spent on the newsletter. And typically they know about accounts and they know about classes. And so they're like, well, it's a, it, it becomes one or the other, right? It's either an account or a class, or sometimes it's both. Um, and so we stopped and we had those conversations with Leslie and we took their existing chart of accounts and class and the things that they were tracking. And we we did a crosswalk. We like mapped it to where it was going to be in the new system. And then we started fresh with um, with the amounts on their balance sheet on the last day of their previous fiscal year. And then we went forward. And you know, sometimes people bring in a year's worth of data just to have comparables, but. Right.
1: And as a tip to people um, in the advanced certification training materials in the last module, I believe, on complex conversions, it talks about how to put in all those beginning balances and open transactions when you're starting fresh in QuickBooks Online. So thank you for sharing some of the thought process and details on on that, because I think that's helpful to people.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and 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 like the slide that we're we're showing here, you you guys are using all the things that are in QuickBook, and uh, one thing that's not even here is budgets. I mean, that's yeah. that's something that a lot of uh, nonprofits are really important uh, is 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 the budgeting function. Um, but you know, making that line in the sand, like okay, here's where we're at, and here's where we want to go. This data is maybe not going to get us there let's let's use this as a point you know a, a turning point to be able to redo um something that we're what we, where we want to get to right
2: yeah and it's awesome in quick online that we can do multiple budgets yeah. right mm-hmm. even for the same time period so sometimes people will do like here's the budget we think we're going with but here's our worst case scenario here's our best case scenario or i think somebody said in the you know in the q a something about um you know, grant budgets. Yeah, you can make a separate budget just for that grant and have multiple multiples there as well.
1: And Leslie, I got a question for you. So from the client perspective, change is never easy. Change is always mm-hmm. disruptive. Change is challenging, especially change in the middle of a pandemic when I imagine all your traditional Revenue sources and fundraising and all that, everything was just disrupted. So from your perspective of this conversion, you know, what was it like on your end? What was it like for you trying to ask the board to approve the money to do the conversion in, you know, some of your administrative and, and kind of behind the scenes things? Can you kind of talk about it from your perspective?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we're really lucky to have board members who are really um, interested in in Grey Wolf's longevity, you know, and in investing in Grey Wolf. And I think it's it's easy to make the case that investing in the accounting function is investing in your ability to do your mission. <laughs> um, at least we we have conditioned our board members to, to respond positively to that. So um, yes, it was disruptive. It was disruptive. And I foolishly chose to do it at the tail end of our fiscal year. So we have a calendar fiscal year and we kind of went in to, to make this big change like in October. So then I needed to bring in all of the previous month's activities <laughs> in order to be able to produce, you know, All of our financials that we were going to need for for auditing purposes, um, because nonprofits of our size are audited every year. And um, that's another fun thing. (laughs) So um, we it was it was disruptive for sure. But it was great to have a chance. I mean, it was totally worth it. I would do it again. Um, it, I just love the way our stuff looks in QuickBooks Online. I love what the kinds of reports that we can produce now. Um, you know, a really big hurdle for us was figuring out how to deal with the book titles because we have 500 book titles and a lot of our specific restricted grants are for a set of titles. You know, it's to public, it's to help promote these six. So we really need to have the ability to track expenses by book title, which is not a natural category. It's not really a functional category. It's this other thing. And there's so many of them. So um, we worked with Megan to develop basically the customer list to use them um, that way, which is, uh, has been a great solution. And really ups our reporting game. And I think the board has really seen that, you know, they've really responded to the fact that we can produce better information for them. Um, And what
1: about just navigating in QuickBooks and working in QuickBooks? Did you find that easy or challenging going from QuickBooks Mac desktop to QuickBooks online? This is a different interface and how you do things.
3: It is different. It is different. I like it. I think it looks and is easier to navigate. Um, there's certainly some really nice perks. There's nothing like the bank feed in uh, QuickBooks for Mac, and that has revolutionized my world <laughs> um, to the point where we were having like some difficulty with one of our one of our bank feeds about a month ago. And I was like, right, I guess we gotta leave this bank if it's not gonna work. <laughs> we we can't do this. Um, so I, you know, it's only been what, like six months since we did the conversion. So already I'm, I'm a total believer in QuickBooks Online.
2: Um, <laughs> not a plant. Absolutely not a plant.
0: <laughs> and then as what? far as the the type of, uh, you know, the flavor version, there's, there, you know, there's four different versions of QuickBooks Online. Uh, some of the things that you uh, mentioned with, uh, you know, the requirements, at least what plus is 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 the version to be in for for a nonprofit for just a few of those things, you know, budgeting classes, you know, those types of things as well. But you you really like advanced on. on There's top of no that,
3: reason right? for a nonprofit not to go with advanced because you can get it um, for a significant a significant discount through TechSoup, which is a great online resource with um, discounted software, especially for nonprofits. I didn't even consider doing anything other than advanced.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah with the with the custom fields and the and the and, you know the enhanced reporting that you have uh, that's going to give you more output than it would um with with plus and the the cost significance is is very negligible especially going through uh through through a program like TechSoup.
2: yeah i mean for gray wolf like one of the tricks with moving to quickbooks online is that it really, I mean, you can make multiple receivable accounts, but it's only gonna actively use one. And nonprofits are accustomed to saying, here's our accounts receivable, here's our pledges receivable, here's our grants receivable, here's our contract, you know, I'm kind of breaking it out. Um, and, and it would have been a nightmare without the ability to do a drop-down custom field in advance, if we had to like manually type that in every time and try to get it right. It just would have been super challenging because that's been a big deal for for Grey Wolf.
1: And Megan, can you clarify TechSoup? Is that only available for five hundred one c threes, or what's the rules on TechSoup? Yeah, it's
2: five hundred one c threes and churches and libraries. And so Intuit is actually donating the software to TechSoup, which is a is a nonprofit itself. And then what you're paying is an admin fee to TechSoup for doing the due diligence of making sure you're a legit nonprofit.
0: Uh, there's a question in here about that is: If they already have purchased Advance, can they change their subscription that way? Or how does that, how
2: does that work? Kind of. So if you've purchased advanced <laughs> Retail, um, Here's what I've done. There's a couple different ways um, and it comes up periodically. The way I've done it is you know with advanced you get what used to be Chronobooks that back and restore. Right. So use that to back up your existing retail subscription and then copy it into the subscription for TechSoup and then cancel your retail subscription.
0: Yeah, so, it- so the, the short answer is no, you can't change your existing subscription, yeah. but yes, you can get your data into the new subscription.
2: <laughs> Although if you have a plus subscription through TechSoup, you yep. can upgrade, write in yep. product and just pay the new amount next year.
3: I also wanted to make sure we got to that tags question because I've really enjoyed the ability to use tags in, in QuickBooks online advanced. We Mm -hmm. use them to tag like donations from our board and national council, which we need to report um, regularly. So it allows us to be able to have, you know, you've got a customer who is this like specific person. You've got um, a product service, which shows like what kind of donation they gave to a special event or this, you know, membership program, or just an annual fund gift, campaign gift. And then you can use the tag to add um, an additional identifier so that I can, I can tag all of our board member gifts that way. That's been really useful. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing we've used it for is to tag like, specific types of special events or a specific special event from this year or next year or the one in New York or the, you know, break that down.
0: Yeah, that's, that's an underutilized uh, functionality as, as is tagged. And I'm sorry, I'm having some work done on my house. <laughs> if you can hear the, the groaning in the background, that's <laughs> apologize for that told them to come after 10 <laughs> contractors can. <Ken. laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the tags functionality is, is certainly something that, you know, is, is underutilized. Um, and I stopped the, the, the sharing on purpose because I really just wanted to have a, a just a conversation and, and a dialogue here and we can see each other a little bit easier. And um, so the, where does where does QuickBooks where do you find Megan that that QuickBooks limits itself like uh, where where is the end of QuickBooks where you kind of have to look at uh, for a nonprofit other 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 services that, that will that will help nonprofits?
2: Oh, do these are like additional like when do they outgrow QuickBooks or what else helps or third-party apps? Yeah,
0: third third-party add-ons that are really useful for 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 nonprofits.
2: Um, I think some of the basics, right? It's nice to have an AP app. So if they need um, a, a solid approval workflow right now, we've been doing bill.com. Um, if they don't, because they're small and just like kind of a mini approval works, Melio, which is built right into QBO is, is nice. Um, I love Divi. And again, um, partially that's, an equity thing, right? I see nonprofits who are like, oh, we don't have a credit card. So I need you to go buy all this stuff and then we'll reimburse you. It's like, well, okay. Um, but with Divi, you can give everybody essentially a credit card and still have limits around its use and have it flow to budgets and have the responsibility for, you know, dealing with your receipts and the coding be with the end user and making that easy. Another, most nonprofits are going to have a CRM I mean, I don't know. What do you guys use, Leslie, for that?
3: That's what I was going to say is um, you're going to any nonprofit you work with is probably going to need to have a separate standalone donor database, a donor um, CRM to track more details about the donations from from each person and to show the connections between donors and um, what events they went to. You know, there's like a lot of extra information that that nonprofits want to track around donors. So a big part of our move to QBO was how, how is the reconciliation process going to work? Because every month we need to reconcile what's in our donor database with what's within QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, so some of our like different flavors of products and services, different types of donations has come about in order to make that process easier because we're tracking all that detail in our donor database. Yeah.
1: And so does your CRM not integrate with QuickBooks, Leslie?
2: No. Even then, right? So I'm I'm married to a development guy and the kind of information that they want to track in terms of fundraising is not necessarily anything I want in my finances, right? So Little Greenlight worked with Greg Boston of QuickBooks Made Easy and really listened to him on how nonprofits use QuickBooks and so they've got a pretty good they've got like one of the best direct integrations I've seen. But for a lot of us we're we're pulling that data into an Excel or into a CSV. We're kind of spinning it we're analyzing it we're deciding what how we want that in the general ledger and then using a tool. I like Sassant. Um, huge fan of Sassant for Bringing that data into QuickBooks, and also we do a lot of allocations of shared costs and of payroll, and that makes those journal entries and dream speeds that up tremendously.
0: So, is never there thought a... I'd hear journal entries and dream in the same <laughs> sentence?
1: Nightmare, maybe,
0: it's but. Uh... <laughs> <to see.
1: laughs> so, so a couple of specific questions for a small nonprofit under a hundred thousand. What would you recommend for a CRM?
2: Well, I would take, you know, oh God, I would take a look at what's on TechSoup. What and
1: somebody get? wanted to know the cost of Tech TechSoup for QBO Advanced through TechSoup. How much? Hundred
2: and six. Sixty. One hundred and sixty a year. Thank you.
0: As yeah. opposed to the one fifty a month.
2: Right. <laughs> that right. is it's for 75 retail. Seventy-five if you get a special deal or go through a, you yes. know, yeah. So it's it's huge, and it like, yeah. Well, and there's lots of other
1: software available through TechSoup as well. Yeah, um, and training. Yes.
2: So Zoom is available through TechSoup. I think you know, um, I don't Office know if it's available. I don't know how how active this still is, but I used to
3: go to Idealware.org all the time. Um, that's a nonprofit that that has a lot of tools for helping you decide what kind of CRM would be best for you, or what kind well, of other technology would be best for you as a nonprofit. Um So yeah, yeah there's and, a um, lot of different um, CRM options out there and they it really depends on what your nonprofit does in terms of what their needs are right yeah.
0: and, and when we were originally thinking about having uh, this this particular session of the Power Hour um, my my goal was to have uh, uh, Regis from Give join us as well. Um, that is uh, I don't know if you've ever checked out get, you know we're talking about apps that integrate with, with QuickBooks Online, it's it's a it's a great way for non non nonprofits to give and donate and be so social enterprises of themselves uh, to to give you know like that's what I do with my with this nonprofit we, we uh, Regis was nice enough to set up this nonprofit as a, a recipient and my business donates to my own nonprofit that I work with so. It was a great way for me to, you know, automatically do some fundraising for myself, <laughs> or the the you know the 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 nonprofit that I was so, um, you know, passionate about uh, was to be able to do that, and um, that is a great way even for you know those that are in the audience uh, to be able to help nonprofits raise funds. For all of their clients who aren't nonprofits.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And um, you so have. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say we have a question here. Um, so, what are your thoughts on using sub customers to track grants that cross tax year boundaries? And I know Leslie mentioned that you're using customers and sub customers for book titles and stuff. But aside from your nonprofit. What are your thoughts on sub customers to track grants? Um...
2: Totally, actually, if it's um, you know, so restricted grants kind of come in two flavors, right? One is one is the kind where we have to track direct expenses back to it, and for those, I really like projects because I can you know, there's that visual in the project center of where we're at with the grant, and it by default is all dates, so it lets us get the picture of the entire grant period. There's others that are you know just it's for this program, do that program. All I want to know is you spent at least this much money on your program. I'm not going to need to, like, I don't have to track the details back to it. And for those, I just use sub customers because there would be no expense on the project center. So it doesn't make any sense to put it there, but yeah, I love that.
1: And what about, do you track cost of goods sold? Um, do you use cost of goods sold to track direct expenses?
2: Gray Wolf does, but typically it's not a nonprofit. Like typically nonprofits, unless you're producing something, like right. Grey Wolf is producing something. Like
1: books, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Normally we're producing services, you know. So there's not really that concept of cost of goods sold, right. but it's gonna it's gonna depend, because you know, virtually it, you could have almost any business and it could be a nonprofit, depending on how you spun that. I saw something in the chat about a nonprofit chart of accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to let y'all know, so the, you can have the link to the Facebook group. I have QuickBooks for nonprofits. What do you do? Um, and the data file set up, including chart of accounts, classes, products, and services tags that I start with is available in the group files there. Awesome. And I, I,
0: I put in I some of the links that you. Her,
2: so I should really be thinking about that, but. <laughs> Right now it's just
0: available for free in the files. And I put a lot of the resources that are in the handouts, which you can get on, you know, the Power Hour landing page for for this episode. Uh, But I also put them in the chat as well so that, you know, if somebody wants to just click on them right right now, uh, you can. And so I put those in there uh, as well.
2: Can I answer Kathy's question, Dan? Do we have time? Yes. Oh, there we would. So, um, Kathy asked in the Q and A. Like, I find that being the accountant for a nonprofit comes into question every time the board of directors change. Um, Do you have them sign a contract retaining your services? It, you know, I hear about that issue. It has rare, yeah, every once in a while, right? I have. because nonprofits are funky, right? In, a, in theory, the, the decision makers are the board and boards should have term limits. So those people are rotating off every three to six years and you get new people who you, who have to understand your value. And you know, if they're volunteer driven or don't have a strong finance team, then you're interacting with the treasurer and really having to communicate with them. Sometimes they have a nonprofit finance background. Very often they don't. Um, I've had folks come in and go, I don't really like the way these reports present. I would like the things that are on the left, on the right, because that just makes more sense to me. Like, okay, Um, if you're willing to pay for that, I guess we can make that happen. Um, And so that that can be an issue. Right. But I think that but we have people sign annual contracts. I've had clients that I've had now for 15 years. I've gone through, you know, multiple changes of the board and I'm on my fourth executive director, where we become their institutional memory. Um, I, I try not to take that personally, right? Because their, their job as a board, you know, one of their duties as a board member is the duty of care. And ensuring that the nonprofits' resources are used, all of their resources, right? Their money, their people, their time, are used wisely in support of the mission. And so I, I try to see that conversation with new board members as really them just doing their due diligence. And if I can and you know have that conversation with them openly, it's it's very, very rarely been an issue. And, and again, like, like with any client, right? If, if they don't see the value in what you're doing, it's always going to be too expensive. And then it needs to work for everybody. So if it doesn't, they need to find somebody else and we wish them well and help them with the transition.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things that I've, I've realized from just having, you know, conversations with you, Megan, is that you know, nonprofits are really no different than any other business. Um, that just because they have that nonprofit, you know, attached to them doesn't, you know, just like we were saying earlier, it's just they are there to make money. Yeah. <laughs> it's not and, just the fact and that they're
2: move <laughs> the mission forward, right? I mean, really, one of yeah. the differences in a nonprofit is that any any in, you know net income of that business does not translate to any individual. Yeah. But it's like the elimination of private endurement. But that doesn't mean the staff can't be reasonably paid, right? It right. just means that no one person takes the profits and goes home. It goes back out to benefit the community.
1: And, Leslie, any last minute thoughts, comments, suggestions, tips for accounting professionals that want to work with people like yourself um, in the nonprofit area? Any ideas? Yeah. I mean,
3: just that nonprofits just like any other place have people who are excited to learn who are excited to try something new who do want you know tools and systems that will give them good information so um you know just because we might not have an accounting degree doesn't mean we aren't excited to work with you <laughs>
1: <laughs> super Well, I tell you, we we just got a great comment here. Um, This has been excellent. Thank you, Megan and Leslie. So everybody is appreciative of your time and energies. And this has been very helpful. I think any last minute comments from anybody. awkward pause <laughs> <It's all
2: laughs> I was, I was checking the chat to hope I was like kind of looking to the to the audience and folks that have been around to see if they had any last minute comments or well
1: well Karen said she got some great tips for her church that can also be used for my retail clients so that's awesome so and again Dan put the links to some of those resources and the Facebook group and stuff so if this is definitely an area you want to get more involved in definitely join the Facebook group um and Leslie thank you so much for for sharing your time uh to come to speak to all these accountants and bookkeepers about your experience and everything. And Megan, of course, we always appreciate you coming too. So thank you both. A blast. Thanks
2: for having me. Thank you.
0: All right. So next, uh, next time we'll be talking about uh, a little deeper dive into the tasks and workflows. Uh, so we'll, we'll uh, hope you join us uh, in a couple weeks for that. Who knows what will be in the background for me, uh, but it won't be this house. So we'll, be, uh, we'll, we'll continue my journey uh, as far as where I will be, and uh, we'll hopefully see you next time on the QB Power Hour. Have a great day.
1: Thanks, everyone.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to the QB Power Hour podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to ask them in our Facebook group. You can find those resources and much more at qbpowerhour.com.